Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Good morning, Freedom House Church. Good to see everyone today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We also wanna welcome all of our live streamers. We got Tennessee, Texas, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Florida, New Jersey, Virginia, Maryland, Illinois, New York, South Carolina, Colorado, and California. Come on, let's give it up for them. Thank you guys for joining us. Welcome. My name is Troy Maxwell. My wife and I are the senior pastors here, but I also wanna give it up for your campus pastors. Pastor Aaron, double Aaron. Pastor Stephanie, you gotta stand up real quick. Make sure you meet them out in the lobby. They're great people, phenomenal, amazing. Speaking of double A-Ron, that's what we call him because he's got two A's. I don't know why he put two A's in his name, but it's A-A-R-O-N. I don't know why his mom, maybe he needed a little double portion or something like that, a double blessing. But um, he also runs our men's ministry and men, we are under contract for 43 acres up in the mountains for a men's lodge, a retreat center. Ladies, don't get jealous. We will let you borrow it occasionally for a small fee. Um, just a small fee. And, uh, but actually, actually, it's gonna be a great uh, opportunity for us to um, really minister, youth, lots of different options for it. Um, we're excited about it. And that's because of our Kingdom Builders commitment. And I wanna encourage you that this has been the best year we've ever had in Kingdom Builders commitment. It's the largest commitment we've ever had. Come on, give yourselves a big hand for that. And um, thank you so much. But you also can participate, because I know many of you weren't here last week. You skipped church for some reason. That's okay, we forgive you. You heard Miles earlier, he forgives his sister, we forgive you. And so uh, if you would like to participate, and if you're a part of this church, this isn't for people who are visiting, maybe it's your first time here, you're kind of kicking the tires of Freedom House Church. Um, this is for people who would call Freedom House Church their home. Um, this is your house. This is where you have planted yourself. You know, the Bible says, plant yourself in the house of the Lord and you'll flourish. Everybody say flourish. There is a reaping when you sow. And we give to get so we can give again. That's the whole process. We give to get to give. We give to get to give. That's why we do it. 
and we want to bless the community. We want to bless the nation. We want to do it. You know, Penny and I have been kingdom builders really since we got saved and because we believe that as the church goes, so goes the country. Let me say that one more time because this is real important for us to understand. Uh, we can't expect that if we change the White House, things are going to change. We can't point the finger at a person, um, whoever it may be. No, it's our, it's our country. It's our opportunity. And so we can't expect the world to look like the, like the kingdom. The church is to look like the kingdom. So we build the church so that when people walk through the doors of the church, they experience heaven. And that's what we want them. So they go, man, I want Jesus. I want life. And then they take the kingdom into their families, into their neighborhood, into their jobs. And that's what being a kingdom builder is all about. And what is a kingdom builder? You give over and above your tithe. You're a tither, and then you give over and above that. Make a commitment, $100 a year, $1,000 a year, $1 million a year, whatever the Lord puts on you, $10 million a year. M-I-L-L-I-O-N is how you spell it if you want to write that on your commitment. Now, it's great to make a commitment. Just follow through with it. And so don't just write a big number on there because you expect to win the lottery. Okay, that's, that's not even godly, Okay. Um, now, if you do win, that's cool. We'll take it. <laughs> Just saying. Somebody asked me a long time ago, do you take lottery money? Absolutely. We'll clean it up. We're the best laundry service on the planet. It's called the church. <laughs> we'll launder the daylights out of that stuff and turn it into souls. <laughs> Amen. My name is Aaron Blanton. Welcome to Freedom House Church. <laughs> In case the FBI are listening. Anyway. <laughs> Hey, we're in a series, let's get to the Bible here before I get in trouble. We're in a series called The Arrival, and today's title, if you want to write this down, I'd encourage you to take some notes today. A lot of stuff we're going to cover today is called When Jesus Shows Up. When Jesus Shows Up. How many know when Jesus shows up, your life changes? Come on, y'all are a direct result of that. Hit your neighbor, say he's talking about you right now. When Jesus... When Jesus shows up, your family changes. When Jesus shows up, your marriage changes. When Jesus shows up, your neighborhood changes. When Jesus shows up, your church changes. Come on, there's a lot of churches that Jesus would like to come in, but he's not invited. I want to invite Jesus today to show up in our midst. Now, we're not going to talk about little eight-pound, six-ounce Jesus today. We're not going to talk about the manger. We're going to talk about the mission of Jesus. We're going to talk about the Messiah, the, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. And we're going to look at it through the eyes of one of my favorite writers of the Bible, Dr. Luke. Luke was one of the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called the synoptic Gospels. Basically, they share the same story over and over. However, Luke looks at things from kind of a different perspective because he's a doctor. Um, you know, he, he's meticulous. He's, um, I think Luke was a bit of a skeptic. That's why he followed Jesus. That's why he, he wrote, also not only did he write Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. Great way to read the Bible is to read Luke, then Acts, because you see the story of Jesus, and then you see the story of the church through the eyes of someone who is very, very specific in looking at the way Jesus responded and how God responded. And it, what it's called is the providence of God. You may have heard that word before. Providence is not just a city in Rhode Island. It's actually a concept 
where if you look at a coin, creation is on one side, God's providence is on the other. We don't know why God created the earth. We don't know why God created the universe. But God's providence tells us that he is at work in it. That he has power working in it. If you want to give a definition of what God's providence is, it's his meticulous involvement in the world that he created. God is meticulously in control of the world that he created. He, he is meticulously control, in, in control of your world. Now, you may not see him. You may, you may not even feel him. That's okay. That's where faith comes into play. There's a lot that goes on in a church service like this that you don't see. But thank God it's there. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You don't pay attention to it. Matter of fact, the less you pay attention to it, the better they are at their job. If we get upset with the lights and the sound, if we pay attention to it, that means there's something's going wrong. If it works great, they're not even really there. But they are, they're great. Come on, let's give it up for our, our tech team. They're fan, phenomenal, got a room over there. So when, when Luke wrote this, let me, let me just give you an example of how meticulous his writing is. Now, who were who the parents of Jesus? Not a trick question, okay? Who were the parents of Jesus? Jo, Mary and Joseph, right? So Mary, Gabriel, comes to Mary and says, I want you to have a child. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. You're gonna get pregnant. And you know the whole story. Luke chapter one, chapter two, I'm sorry. And so, so she is a virgin, which is one of the foundational truths of Christianity. Two basic foundational truths that you have to believe, that God was born of a virgin. Jesus was born of a virgin, immaculate birth. A virgin womb, correct? Never been with a man. She wasn't married. And so the second, by the way, the second foundational truth of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. So at the beginning of Luke, we see Mary and Joseph. Well, guess what? At the end of Luke, you see Mary and Joseph, different Mary and Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus off of the cross and puts him in a tomb, a virgin tomb. Mary prepares his body. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus, it's Mary Magdalene, who was ministered to by Jesus. This is how meticulous God is. This is how providential God is. At the beginning of Luke, we see Jesus born in a virgin womb, and at the end of Luke, we see Jesus buried in a virgin tomb. Are you, are you seeing the, the incredible connection of how God works? This is God's providence. This is how he works. Now, when it comes to God's providence, we kind of look at this in two different extremes, okay? Some of us fall into the God is in control and I have nothing to do with it. We just, this is called Calvinism, by the way where basically, you know, I put this shirt on today because God predestined it. I'm in flannel today. God predestined it. I had no really choice. Now, I know I could have taken the blue pill or the red pill, but he had already worked it all out, and I wore the black and white one, all right? You following what I'm saying? You parked in that parking spot out there, predestined. You're married to this person, predestined. In other words, you have no choice in it, he wants you to think you have a choice, but in reality, you don't really have a choice. And that's one extreme. The other extreme is that God is my co-pilot, that I make all the choices, and God is kind of out there somewhere, involved a little bit, but you know, I really don't see him. I really don't know he's there. I'm kind of mad at him right now. 
And, and so I, I have a free will. I have a free choice. And I control everything that's going on. Now, those are two extremes. God's providence falls somewhere in the middle. Let me give you an example of what I call the providence promise in the Bible. Romans 8, 28. You know this verse. This is God's providence at work. Because here, God's providence involves you and it involves God. There is an involvement for both of us in this equation. That's why God's providence falls somewhere in the middle between a Calvinistic theology and, and a true you know, free will, which is what we have. I believe we have it, but God also has some sovereignty. We don't understand it all. We'll never figure it out until we get to heaven. We'll probably learn about it, that he's been involved in the whole situation. How? We don't understand it, but it's a mystery. And if you think you're gonna figure it out, then you're probably smarter than God. You're not gonna figure it out, okay? A YouTube video is not gonna help you on this one, okay? You're just gonna have to, this is something you're gonna have to learn into, lean into when we get to heaven. Here's the providence promise, Romans 8, 28. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just follow me. And we know all things, everybody say all things. All things, that, that means everything. All things work together for good to those who, here's my part, love God. That's my part. This is the free will part. This is my choice. I get to choose whether I love God or not. Now, some of us like him, the love thing, whoo I don't know. We're kind of there almost. We've been hurt by people. We don't know if we really love God. We're sitting in the back of the church today because we don't know. So we equate our experience personally with God through the people that we've experienced with. So we don't know yet. So that's, the, that's our part, the love God. His part to those who are called according to his purpose. So our part is to love God. His part is the purpose part. His part is the calling part. He puts it on you to do what? To fulfill his purpose. So the truth is God is intimately and meticulously involved in the world that he created. Let me say it another way to make it more personal. God is intimately and meticulously involved in your world he created. And God is so intimately and so meticulously involved in our world, he inserted himself into it through the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus shows up. And we see it all through the Bible. We see the progression all through the Bible. We see this promise right from the beginning. Let me prove it to you, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse two, the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the deep. Verse three, then God said, let there be light. The gospel in the first three verses of the Bible, this is how meticulous God is. He created the earth, mankind, the universe, darkness, Sin, hurt, brokenness was evident. So he so intimately and meticulously involved, he inserted Jesus, the light of the world, into our world to change it. Are you following me? This is repeated over and over and over and over again so that we can understand that God is intimately and meticulously involved in your world. So three things that I want you to see at the beginning of Jesus' showing up. The first, and we're just going to look at Luke. We're just going to look at Luke. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Jesus is God's beloved son. 
his beloved son. This is when he comes up on the scene. We saw him born, eight pounds, six ounce Jesus. Then we see him in the manger. By the way, it's pretty interesting to, set, to, to note that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was wrapped, he was put in a manger. A manger, by the way, is not made of wood. Sorry to disappoint you, but it's not made of wood. It actually was a feeding trough made out of stone. So he was wrapped in a linen cloth as if he was buried, set on a stone feeding trough. Isn't that interesting? That at the end, he was wrapped in a linen cloth and put on a stone. Isn't that interesting? That's how meticulous God is from the beginning to the end. So notice what happens. So, so we see Jesus born, and then we see when he's 12 years old. We don't know a whole lot about him. We don't know what he did. We don't know what school he went to, if he went to college or not. Is he an NC fan, a Duke fan? We don't know. We don't know. But here's what happens when he shows up on the scene at age 30, and he is beginning his ministry. Hasn't started yet, but he's beginning his ministry. When all the people were baptized, so John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus' cousin. It came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, we're going to come back to that, the heaven was opened. And notice verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended. This is really important. Because Jesus being God's beloved son makes way for us to be his sons and daughters. So this entrance, this this intimate, meticulous insertion of God into our world is important because this is how we enter God's world is through through his son, Jesus Christ. He became our prototype. How do we know? Because it says, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. God had told John the Baptist, he said, there's one thing that you're gonna notice about the son of God, the Messiah. When this happens... When this goes on, you're going to know that he's the one. John the Baptist, well, what is it? When the Holy Spirit comes and remains on him. Because up to this point, every person who did something for God, the Holy Spirit came upon them and then lifted off. And came upon them and then lifted off. Gideon, upon him, lifted off. Barak. Upon him, lifted off. Sansom, upon him, lifted off. But this time, Jesus shows up. He gets baptized, comes up. The Holy Spirit comes. Whoosh, that's what it made the noise that it made. Came on him like a dove and rested upon him and remained upon him. And then God says something. It's interesting. What did he say? He said, today, today, you see, you are. He says, he says, You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Okay, time out. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't preached anything. Hadn't said a word. He hadn't healed any sick. Walked on water? Nope. He hadn't hadn't opened any blinded eyes? Nope. He He hadn't rebuked the Pharisees? Nope. Nothing. He hadn't done anything. Now, listen to me, listen to me. This is really important. Because before you do anything, before you act out in your mission, God is well pleased with you. Matter of fact, you're God's favorite. Come on, look at your neighbor, say, I'm God's favorite, leave me alone. 
Come on, look at your, look at your other neighbor. Say, you're God's favorite. Point him, you're God's favorite. And I am too. I tell my kids all that all the time. I text my daughter, Cassidy, you're, you're my favorite. You know what she does? Send it to her other sister. The bad thing is, is I've already said that she's my favorite too. And my son, he's my favorite. They're all my favorite. God has the propensity and the meticulousness and the intimacy to put his eye on each one of us in a way that we can experience his love like no other. Let me say it another way. There is no human being that could ever give you the love that God offers. No human being. So quit looking. Okay? Tom Cruise was wrong. You'll figure it out. Just talk to your wife, your girlfriend, whatever. She'll just ask a lady today what I was talking about. That's your mission today. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just ask somebody that laughed because he's wrong. They will not complete you. Only God will complete you. (laughs) All right, the point of this is what Jesus did prior to his baptism, the Holy Spirit coming. It says he prayed, and Luke was the only one that made this statement. That he prayed and the heavens opened up. Because, listen, when Jesus shows up, heaven opens up. This was, this was God at this moment breaking into human history through the power of heaven. So, what does that mean for you and me? If we want heaven in any situation, we invite Jesus into it. If we want heaven in our families, men, invite Jesus into it. If we want heaven in our jobs, invite Jesus into it. If we want heaven in our life, invite Jesus to show up in our life. If we want heaven in our finances, invite Jesus into our finances. Whatever, whatever area you want. If you want want heaven in church, invite Jesus to show up. Look, you can go through all the traditional stuff and Jesus will not, he'll just sit in the back and not even be involved until you invite him to be a part of this. And the Holy Spirit comes like a dove and he remains and we see the power of God in manifestation because when Jesus shows up, heaven opens up. Here's the second thing. And this is one of those verses. Anybody have a verse in the Bible that you just don't like? Raise your hand if you're honest, honest. There's some, none of you have a verse in the Bible you don't like. Y'all are lying. Well, I'll tell you one that I don't like. And I don't like this one right here. Look at Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the, by the Spirit into the wilderness. I don't like that. Because the wilderness is bad. Like it's, this is not good. Because we find out what happens after it. And, I, and it confused me. When I read this, it's a bit confusing for me. Because why would the Holy Spirit lead you into something not good? Because all of us have to go through a wilderness. Let me say it this way. Before any significant mission can be started, we must be led by the Spirit into a wilderness. So some of you are in the middle of your wilderness and you want God's best and destiny for your life, but you gotta get out of the wilderness first. Jesus, if Jesus had to go through 40 days in the wilderness why do you not think you're going to have to go through 40 days? Or more. Could be more. Who makes that decision? Not God, you. So what's the wilderness? And me, by the way. I'll talk about my wilderness in a second. But what is the wilderness? The wilderness is our test. Everybody say test. What's the test? 
I don't know. That's something you have to figure out. <laughs> I came to church for answers today, Pastor. You're just causing me to have more questions. Sometimes it's about asking the right question. What's the test? I don't know. You have to decide what that test is. You have to figure out what that test is. Sometimes it's a trust test. God is putting you into a wilderness so you can figure out, he can figure out if you really trust him or not. Or whether you really trust him or not. It could be, it could be a finance test. It could be a money test. Maybe God is testing you in regards to your money. I don't know. You have to figure that out. God loves testing people. Tested people all through the Bible. Now, I didn't say he tempts people. He tests people. He allows situations to happen in our life in order for us to pass the test. The great thing about God is you never fail. You just retake. Over and over. Come on. And over and over and over and over until you pass the test. Because you're, every mission from God begins with a wilderness. What else is the wilderness? It's also a temptation for the enemy to try to tempt you. Remember, testing leads you close to God. Tempting leads you away from God. Often when the devil comes, he's coming to try to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his job. So you can identify the difference between a test and a temptation by the motivation behind it. So it's a test if it's going to draw me closer to God. If it involves a better, stronger relationship with God. It's a temptation when something is being taken from me, when I feel like i got to remove something. It's, it's killing, it's destroying, it's annihilation. That's the enemy. And the wilderness is our wait. It's our wait. We have to wait. We all have to wait. I hate waiting. I hate, I hate it. And don't get mad at me, doctors, but when you tell me to be there at 9.30 and you don't see me till 10.15, I don't like that. Work it out to where when I show up at 9.30, you see me at 9.30. The other day, I had to go to the doctor, get an MRI. And I had to get an MRI on my knee. And, and they said to be there at 8. My appointment was at 8.30. I'm like, well, then why do I need to be there at 8? If my appointment is at 8.30, why should I be there at 8? So I showed up at 8.30. And she was like, you're supposed to be here at 8. And I said, but my appointment was at 8.30. Explain that to me. She said, well, you have all this paperwork. I said, you could email that to me. That's easy. Well, I don't know if they can see you. I said, call them. And guess what? They saw me. Isn't that amazing? At 8.30. At 8.30. It didn't take any time. I didn't have to wait any time. I, don't, I mean, who needs to read 1973 Vogue magazines? I don't. I don't want to read 1973 Vogue. How long is the wait in the wilderness? It all depends on me. I'm in a wilderness right now. I'm trying to figure out how long I need to be there. Some wildernesses last 11 days, like Israel, could have been 11 days. Could have been 11 days for Israel, but it happened to be 40 years for him. For Jesus, it was 40 days. How long is your wilderness? Anywhere between 11 days and 40 years. <laughs> Just to give you some hope. <laughs> Welcome to Freedom House. <laughs> Here's the good news. When Jesus shows up, you'll make it through. When Jesus shows up, you'll make it through. Why did he have to go through the wilderness? To let us know, to let us know, Israel ended up dying in the wilderness. He came to prove that you can make it through the wilderness, just like him. The last thing is that Jesus is our freedom. Luke chapter four, one of my favorite kind of pictures of Jesus 
is he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. I think one of the most difficult things as a Christian is to share the truth with those who know you. Don't you? Man, it's so hard for people, for you to share the gospel with somebody you grew up with. Some of you have been friends with for a long time. Man, it's so hard. But Jesus gives us an example. And notice what he says. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Man, what a, what a great picture of what we should be doing as the church right now is standing up for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Standing up in face, in, in, in face of anything that we may be trying to be forced upon us, we stand up for the freedom that came first through, our son Jesus, through, through God's son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Stand up and read. This is how meticulous God is. Jesus shows up in his hometown. I remember when I got saved. I mean, I'm talking about really saved. Not Sunday morning saved. I'm talking about radically saved. I'm not talking about I'm still living with my girlfriend saved. That's not, I'm talking about I was an alcoholic, I did drugs, and I got radically saved. Any radically saved people in the house today? Okay, about half of you. That's all fine, that's fine. Some of y'all trying to figure it out. That's all right, that's all right. I got radically saved. I mean, like, radically saved. It was dark, and God rocked my world. Jesus showed up, and I was like, whoa, this is way different than church. Like, the power of God. Like, that's I'm talking, like, my heart went from this to totally changed. The problem was I was in a fraternity. Okay, I I spent two years trying to get in a fraternity. Two years. And now I was the secretary of the fraternity. And then I got radically saved. Now, if you know anything about fraternities, that's a little bit of conflict right there. This This is a problem. Because now, because I got, and see, when you get radically saved, when you get totally changed, when, when God shows up in your life, when, I mean, like really shows up, you, you have to tell people about it. There's no, there's no like, well, I'm afraid too, they might cancel me. No, there's no, I don't care anymore because I know the truth of what happened to me. Like it changed me so much on the inside out. The problem was, is I was in my hometown just like Jesus was. And when I stood up to read, I got canceled. They called called me crazy, you know, stupid. They thought it was for a girl, but it was for God. Me, because I've met Penny and I got saved and, you know, we were connecting. But she didn't want anything to do with me if I didn't have God. As a matter of fact, when we first met, she says, I need somebody that's on fire for God. I didn't know what on fire meant. I said, well, first of all, I don't even know what that means. That is very confusing to me because I don't want to catch a flame or anything like that. That's like just weird. You know, I, I, need, I, need, I need to know what that means. She's like, you know, love Jesus. And, and I was like, okay, you mean go to church? She goes, no, it's more than that. It started there and I went to church and God rocked my world. See, when you stand up, some people will walk out. They will. So Jesus stood up to read. This is what's so awesome. 
in the Jewish synagogue, and I'm almost done, in the Jewish synagogue, there were always seven people that would read. And it was very planned out. So everything was done very meticulously, very particular. They, were, they, were, they had everything lined up exactly what would happen on that day. So Jesus goes to church, and, and he's waiting. And the first two people that would read would be the priest and the Levite. And then there would be four other, there were seven people. I believe he was the last one to read because seven is the number of perfection. But isn't it interesting that he's given the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah? Now, it doesn't have chapters. It doesn't have page numbers. It doesn't have verses. It doesn't have anything that. But he's so intimately involved with the scripture, Jesus knew exactly where to go to read Isaiah. He knew exactly where to open it up, and he began to read. You know what he read? He read out of where Isaiah talked about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a 49-year celebration that the Jews never celebrated because what it meant was freedom to anybody who owed debt. And so it'd be like if the Blantons owed me a big debt and they gave me their land in order to secure it. On the year of Jubilee, I would give them their land back. They didn't want to celebrate that? Heck no. I mean, who wants to forgive everybody's debt? But that's what Jesus was talking about. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I want you to notice this progression. Jesus said, I came to preach the gospel to the poor. I want to give hope to the hopeless. I want to heal people from their brokenness. I want to get them free from their oppression, depression, anxiety, problems, issues. And then I want to give them vision. And guess what? When Jesus shows up, that's available to every single person. This was his mission, by the way. I believe that he went and sat down. This is why everybody got mad at him. And by by the way, they wanted to kill him. His own family, his own hometown wanted to throw him off the cliff because there was a chair that was reserved for the Messiah that nobody sat in. So when Jesus stood up to read and then he sat back down, he sat in that seat. And everybody said, oh, what is he doing? Why is he sitting in that seat? That's the reserve for the Messiah. But Jesus was making his declaration of his mission. So let me ask you today. Let me ask you. Have you got a lot of bad news lately? Maybe you need some good news. Do you feel hopeless today? Because when Jesus shows up, you can have hope. So matter, I want to invite you. If you're here today, and maybe you fall into that place where, where it just feels like all you've been getting is bad news. I want you to stand up on your feet right now. Just stand up right where you are because God wants to give you some hope. And maybe, maybe you're here today, just stay standing. Maybe you're here today and your heart is broken. Maybe your heart got broken because somebody betrayed you, somebody left you, somebody hurt you. Maybe because your past has weighed on you for so long. Jesus shows up 
He tells us he came to heal your heart. If that's you, I want you to stand up on your feet because God wants to show up in your life right now. Jesus wants to heal your broken heart. Or maybe, maybe you need freedom from oppression. You've been living as a victim. You recognize it. You know it. You feel that way, but you're ready for God to operate. You're ready for Jesus to show up with the key to the prison that you've been living in. Just stand up on your feet right now because Jesus wants to touch you today. He's here in this room for you. Or maybe you need some vision. You've been blind. And today you need to see what's next for me, God. Where do I go next? What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? Who do I need to connect to? I need some vision in my life. I want you to stand up and I want to pray for you today, if that's you. I need some vision for my marriage. I need some vision for my business. I need some vision for my future. I need some vision for my kids. I need some vision for my house, for my family, for my country, for my future. Just stand up on your feet right now. And if you can, just lift up both hands to heaven. Because it says on that day when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came and filled him. God gave us a great gift in the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're not standing up, if you could just stand up and just maybe stretch your hands out to one of the people that's around you that did stand up and just believe that Jesus would influence them like he's influenced you. That Jesus would become more intimately and meticulously involved in that area where freedom, where jubilee, that, 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 that they would experience, that we would experience that love that no person can give us. Father, I pray the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon them just like the Spirit of the Lord rested upon Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon them. Father, I pray first of all that hope would be injected into the hearts of your people today. Hope for the hopeless. God, I pray that that hearts would be healed today, that brokenness would be removed, that, Father, you said you would give us a brand new heart of flesh, and today betrayal, words of hurt, pain, um, all the past stuff that we've been dealing with, we've been carrying for so long, just like, just like Rose said, we're going to leave it here today and walk out with a brand new heart. God, I pray that, that there would be freedom, Lord, that prison doors would open today, that we would no longer look at our past and our problems, God, like we've done in the past. But Jesus, you would insert yourself and show us the way. God, I pray that you would give vision, that you would open our blinded eyes to see how to get out of this wilderness, God, we've been in for a long time so we can see the mission that you've called us to do, the ministry you've called us to do, the marriage you've called us to do in the name of Jesus. Come on, lift your hands to heaven and let God's presence come. Let God's presence come. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us today. Come, Holy Spirit, and minister to us today. I believe, I believe Jesus is here. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. When Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up, everything changes.
Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.